so it's called the uh, in media res. In media res means when you're writing something already in progress, like grammatically. Uh, it's, yeah, it's a style of doing. That. Anyway, um, are we are we recording it? We are. Oh, good. just we are, we are in media res. <laughs> <laughs> welcome, welcome. Yeah. No. Hey, welcome to the podcast, everybody. We're here. I'm I'm Brett Leonard, and uh, this is my son. Hi, Shannon Leonard, and t- today we're talking about AI. We're going to talk about updates in the metaverse. There's so much to talk about. Dad, where should we start? Since we recorded before, I I, I went to SIGGRAPH. I've, I've spoken there over you know 30 years or so on and off, and I actually spoke at SIGGRAPH, and we were talking. It's all about AI and motion capture, but also a kind of thing happened at SIGGRAPH that because they're coming back from COVID, they were jacking up the prices for people. And so it was like the main floor kind of sucked. And that's the first time for me that happened at SIGGRAPH, although the art section, the digital art section of SIGGRAPH was absolutely amazing. And there was incredible digital artists there doing things, of course, with Dolly and Midjourney and Stable Diffusion and Runway and all those things. There's a lot of AI-infused art going on in that world, of course. And was this before the Apple Vision Pro announcement? Or no, was that? it was uh, was that oh, was after. Yeah, let's say no, Zigraph was after. Yeah, because we haven't even talked about that on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, Apple's foray into AR, VR. I mean, it's really very much a pass-through AR device, uh, but it can also do complete virtual reality and you know fully inclusive virtual reality so so what are your thoughts on it though do you think it's going to be i mean i feel like when we've talked just just me and you we were t- we've talked yeah. about how it, it's it's this pivotal moment yes. for what the metaverse even means of course apple won't use that word no and it's they call really... it spatial computing um, yeah. which yeah. is something that's being been bandied about by a lot of people over the past several years as a, another uh, to me spatial computing is the actual mega trend on which all of this metaverse stuff sits because and i've taught i think i talked yeah. about that you know way long time ago in an early uh, podcast but you know it's because spatial computing is just bringing computing into the spatial arena with human uh interaction in in a three-dimensional spatial uh form and so that is really the sort of base foundation of what the quote-unquote metaverse is being built upon so i think it's it's actually quite smart of Apple to utilize uh, the idea of spatial computing as the at the core of what they're moving into. They never even use the term virtual reality at all, which I think is also smart. Yeah, because you know, there's so much though, because it, yeah, it's so really much a virtual reality headset. I know, I know, it's a VR headset, but it's you know, and VR will never go away as a term because it's been around long enough. But it's it's going to come in and out of favor depending on what you know technical nomenclature is being used at uh, any given time by these big tech giant corporations so it's just floating on the perception of what it is they're really doing but in terms of the vision pro headset it's about being able to enter the spatial computing world with apple and of course all of the ease quote unquote of the apple interface and i will say that what i saw which is a lot of faked stuff um for their video um that's come out. Well, some have tried it. Some have tried yeah. the demos. Yeah, no, there's, there's, look, there's, and it's positive. It's very positive. The most reviews from people I know have tried it has been very positive. It's really a perceptual thing. It's the fact that Apple, one of the biggest companies, if not the biggest company in the world, is entering into this area is a huge moment inflection point for virtual reality, the metaverse, spatial computing, um, ad nauseum. 
Uh, it's just, uh, you know, it has a huge portent in terms of the business viability. Yeah. Uh, you know, as a person who's involved with, you know, virtual experience as part of my, my business. And of course, I have a company called Ubiquity VX, which is about delivering health and wellness in, uh, in a virtual form. Um, you know, it's very important. Uh, it's a very important uh, moment when, if Apple's jumping in, that means it must really be real. <laughs> That's sort of yeah. The, the under well, like it was becoming, yeah. it was becoming kind of this. It was everyone's making fun of VR headsets and and especially with the term metaverse and how much money Meta yeah. was spending on it. And then Apple comes in and is like, actually, we're going to do something like that too. We're not yeah. going to call it the metaverse, but we're doing something like that. I mean, from what I've seen, it's. It's a, it could be a huge a huge technology advancement as well in terms of the eye tracking and yeah. how there there's no controllers that's a yeah. huge deal. I was yeah. expecting there'd be controllers because there's you know rumors we've we've talked about w when will Apple enter the space on this podcast for over a year before they launched or, yeah. or their announcement. Yeah. Um. But I was always thinking oh there's got to be some kind of a controllers you know so, but no they're they're doing eye tracking and then hand gestures. And apparently, from the people have said, it's really well done. And that could change. Yeah. almost like the invention of the touchscreen and how Apple reinvented how phones work. Eye tracking could be this pivotal moment. But but it's too expensive, right? It's got to, it's got to, this first version is almost like a developer unit. It's got to be lighter. Well, it's got to be less expensive, a couple hundred bucks. They're taking, and that's a long way away. They're taking one step at a time because even yeah. the way it's presented, it's extremely static. It's not like you're going in navigating a virtual world. It's kind of like, having all the menu beauty and ease of the Apple interface in a spatial environment where you're sitting primarily, you know, but they, they actually have most of the things they're doing with the headset. I've heard it's like, they don't want you even to stand. They want you to sit. Um, so it's, but these are just, of course, interim steps in what they're going to be doing. Uh, supposedly the next two uh, iterations, actually two versions of this headset have already been designed. There are people that have been, leaking some of that and you know they're they're definitely look the big news is apple is definitely empowering the virtual world and whatever you want to call that the metaverse or spatial computing or virtual reality that's what they're doing a lot of it is focused yeah. on this idea of having a pass-through headset device which of course is um what uh meta is now doing as well uh and that is moving quest away. three yeah quest three meta moving is moving away from from uh, from hand controllers because uh, you can actually control without hand controllers in the Meta Three. Um, I've heard that that's a bit clumsy, um, but it. I've also heard a lot of really good things about the Meta Three, and that's important because with the price point of the Apple Vision Pro, which they haven't even released yet, which is going to be you know it's it's very pricey. Um, it's yeah, thirty five hundred dollars for thirty five hundred dollars exactly. Um, the Meta the Meta Three which is coming off the Meta Pro, right, is 400 or so dollars, between 400 yeah. and $500. And that is a massive difference. And guess what? They're going to be releasing, I've heard, they're manufacturing 50 to 60 million of these things for 2024. Yeah. So, yeah, they're, they're and so there's kind of this groundswell of the Meta technology coming in on the perceptual uh, move of Apple. And that makes sense because... If Apple's entering, then, you know, Meta's already invested billions of dollars in this space. And why not, you know, push it to the next level? Because their biggest competitor in some ways is uh, now making major moves. 
And I've heard that the Meta 3 is actually a very good answer to the Vision uh, the Vision Pro. And of course, yeah. at a much, much, much lower price point. So things are moving in the virtual world, everybody. This is, uh, these devices are, you know, are, are now starting to have efficacy, both from a technical level and also from a pricing level. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's going to be interesting. I mean, the, the resolution of the screen of the MetaQuest 3, that's a big point yeah. that I think, you know, they're going to need to figure out how to get the price down, but the resolution yes. up. Exactly. And I think that's what Apple is waiting on. Apple's like, no, we we want these, you know, there is more than 4K TV in each eye on the Vision I Pro. Know. I know. It's it's the the highest resolution screen I think they've ever made. It's it's going to yeah. be you know, insane. And and you know, to your point about the a lot of their demos were sitting down. I've, you know, I think that's going to be the the developers need to get in yeah. there and make more immersive experiences. They have definitely uh version, you know, applications that could be on the, on the vision pro where you're actually yeah. walking around it's spatial computing. I mean, that's the whole thing. But that being said, I think one of the first use cases for the vision pro is watching 3d content, 3d cinema. Well, the first thing I was thinking of when I was watching the keynote, uh, when the Apple announced the vision pro was this is making 3d movies relevant again. Yeah. And you know, of course, again, the price point has to come down It actually has to get in people's homes where it's not just this kind of luxury device, but Apple's going to get there within a few years. And at that point, there's going to suddenly be this, oh, wow, you can have a 3D movie in your you know, in your home. You could have a 3D IMAX experience in your own home because you're going yeah. to be so, you're, you're going to be fully immersed. So it's literally going to be like sitting in front of that 10-story screen and being fully immersed. And of course, I've made a couple 3D IMAX films and I was so gonna I'm really say, yeah. excited. I'm really excited about this whole new way of delivering uh, that kind of content, including, you know, we have an experimental feature film that we're still in post-production on called Hollywood Rooftop, which you worked on as well, of course. Yeah. And uh, and it's, you know, this is now becoming a distribution modality that can actually work for this kind of experimental work that, that people like myself have been doing. There's many, many others, of course. And so it's really... Um, a big moment where, you know, there's, it's such a funny thing. The, the, the naysayers of all the different eras of virtual reality have been very fun and, and kind of humorous to watch. You know, I've been very consistently like supporting this is going to be a continual rise until we actually have a full virtual world that we're interacting in, like our real world. There's a lot of questions that that brings up. That's what the metaverse sort of, you know, um, you know, exploration and inquiry is all about why we're even having this podcast, but it's really getting to where, you know, everyone thought, oh, it didn't work. All those. And it's like literally saying the first little pieces of like the internal combustion engine, which didn't take you down the road, didn't have anything to do with anything because they didn't do it all yet. Well, right, right. it's going to become more and more and more transparent and, 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 easy and subtle to enter the virtual world. And that's what's clear and a tremendous amount of investment and focus by giant tech companies is going into this. They're not letting go. And so with Apple jumping in, you know, it's kind of like this is absolutely going to happen because of, uh, you know, of the level of, of support and financial investment and energy and passion of everybody that's, that's moving in this arena right now. And of course, the Apple, 
announcement was one of the things that really kicked that in the ass and made it really, uh, you know, really accelerate. And that's exciting. It makes it a very exciting time because of that. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, they're designing their own cameras. They're shooting a lot of content themselves in I know. 3D. And there's a lot of rumors about, are they going to have all of their uh, Apple TV Plus shows? You know, are they actually shooting those with their custom made 3D cameras, which they which they've developed? Yeah. Um, you know, they've also they're getting into sports. You're going to be able to sit. Yeah, for people who want to be right in those t those really expensive seats, right on the side of of the field, now you can yeah. get that uh, for cheaper. I mean, you have to get the Vision Pro first, or but you know, again, when the prices come down, it'll be a lot more accessible to have front row seats at these sporting events. That's huge for a big market of people. Um, you know, it's it's just interesting. It's I think there's there's the the, the na for the naysayers uh, who are say, oh, it's it, it's 3D technology didn't work. It, you know, because didn't really catch on well i think that was that was the version of it where you literally had to go to a specialized cinema or you know, and and get the the glasses and the, and the way the polarized glasses works kind of give people headaches um and yeah. you know there was yeah. different things and, and then also the 3d tvs at home there wasn't any 3d content to support it because not many people had you know exactly he's in their home and well, the yeah 3d when, sucked yeah i mean that's the other exactly, thing yeah. it, was, it wasn't a good experience that you know, it's, what you're talking about is a really kind of interesting thing to to sort of dive into deeply here, which is yeah, all of these ideas, all of these um, slices uh, and verticals of human behavior and human interaction and human business, human enterprise, have been tried out in VR through all these hype cycles that have happened over the past you know 25 years or so, it, and you know it really goes back to right around the time I made Lower Man and it really had started for real. And we've had a number of these cycles now, but like, you know, there have been big VR sports companies next VR, uh, was called, uh, next VR was one of them. And they got, and they raised like a hundred, $150 million. And it still didn't happen because the timing was too soon because the technology wasn't there yet because the distribution of it was too difficult. And so it's really interesting to see all of this activity and, and the early, uh, you know, so the early people jumping in always get hit by the fact it's too early. And I've experienced that yeah. to some degrees myself through my career. And now it's all coming together. And that's what makes it so exciting right now. It's like the the pieces, like, you're, you know, Apple's making their own 3D cameras and the, 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 the quality of the experience is now getting to where humans will actually go, yeah, I want that. You know, and there's a whole generation that's going to demand immersion because they're going to be native to immersion very, you know, from a very early age. And so we're in this moment when this idea that, oh, VR was never, it was never going to happen. It's strapping a box on your head and, you know, th there's never been a good use case. and It's too difficult to distribute. That is actually literally a big Aikido move is happening right now. That is literally shifting in this moment, a giant kind of chiropractic adjustment, a crack of uh, of an inflection point is happening around the true adoption of the idea of the immersive world of the metaverse i think the metaverse is still going to be the most maligned sort of uh you know title for this whole thing for quite a while in all honesty yeah because oh, it's, yeah, so amorphous. Sure. it's so amorphous um and that's kind of why it's it's fun to talk about what the f is the metaverse because it it i don't know if there's ever going to be a simple answer to that because i think new nomenclatures will be coming in, new ways of describing it, just like Apple's coming in and describing it as spatial computing 
Um, you know, I don't think that's going to become the the buzzy thing. I think there's something else that we haven't even heard of that's going to be the way that the, you know the buzziness of this enters the zeitgeist and really becomes uh, a common thing. You know, I mean, again, you have to look at the adoption of things like the smartphone, which seemed to be a very niche thing for like businessmen who had blackberries and the Palm Pilot and all these things, and then suddenly, suddenly it was everywhere and it was everyone's daily life almost at the you know the turn of a dime and that that i believe is what's going to happen in the context of the immersive world of this virtual realm that we're starting to create uh and of the metaverse so it literally is you know that we since we started this it's been a tremendous acceleration of course we haven't even mentioned AI yet in this podcast. Uh, I mean, this this episode anyway. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, and, and there's a lot of things to cover. The, the one, the one thing I will say, the biggest valid criticism of this kind of proliferation of 3D and and metaverse or all this stuff is that it's too expensive right now. Yeah, and of course, and yeah. that is that's valid because the Vision Pro was three thousand five hundred dollars. But if you just play it out a few more years, the prices yes. will come down. And 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 the same thing. It's like okay, well, who? The, the the 3D TVs didn't work, but they were always expensive. The 3D TVs were always yes. expensive. And you know that Apple is going to bring the price down. They're going to create an accessible yes. uh, version of, of the Vision Pro. And look, Meta's already doing that with the but Quest look, 3. That's what I was going to say. Resolution. Meta, yeah, exactly. Meta 3 is really a much better response to the Vision Pro than most people would even think. It is. It actually is pretty yeah. amazing. I, I pass through. Is, it'll is be better right. for games. I think it'll be better yeah. for games and and things where you're kind of interacting with with objects in yes. you know spatial computing and yeah. you have this physical space and that'll be cool. But that the resolution is so key for watching 3D content, and that's where yeah, Apple might might have the might have the edge on Meta because they're going to figure out how to get the price down while keeping the resolution. It's be, look, up. You're, what you're bringing up is the fact is whoever gets to bring the price down first that's the foot race with good resolution with good yeah, resolution with good. because yeah. resol- we are high resolution beings we uh, you know yeah. everything we watch in our it used to be you know you'd watch an old black and white tv set when i was a kid and that that was a high resolution experience but you know it literally looks like fuzz and static compared to what we have now uh you know yeah. at the lowest end of of you know a visual delivery and of audio delivery so you know the expectations of resolution and the necessity to have that level of experience in order to grab uh, a, the true you know zeitgeist of a, of a large group of people. That's the moment we're in. You know, it is yeah, especially at, for non-interactive, like well, for interactive experiences, you can kind of forgive it a little bit, like the Quest Two. Yeah, yeah, example. exactly. It's exactly, it's know. so fun to use the Quest Two for these climbing games where you're climbing like thousands of feet over, you know, yeah. virtually. Uh, and and doing all these exciting things because you can kind of suspend disbelief. But when you're watching a a, a movie, you're sitting back. You want to you want that resolution. And but yeah, it's it's wild. And you know maybe you know I think also for th- for for upscaling, this is where AI is going to help. All, all this kind of these you know these experiences that were maybe made for the first generation devices. Yeah. Well, then in five years, ten years, be able to be upscaled using AI. Oh, exactly. Um, and there's so many awesome AI things to talk about. Uh, yeah, gosh, where, where do you want to start on AI? I mean, well, the, look, I mean, Firefly from Adobe. There's Dali three was just announced. Yeah. Uh, Amazon just invested four billion dollars into Anthropic. 
uh, Claude, which is a competitor to OpenAI. So I don't know, where do you want to start? There's so much. Well, first of all, you know, for those, uh, for people that are in the the business of uh, the tech business at any level, it's hard to have any pitch not have the term AI in it these days <laughs> for anything. Um, yeah. There's sort of a bit of a, of a, sort of a comedy around that. It's like everyone's, you know, how many, how many times does a person say AI in a, in a certain minute, you know? It's like the metaverse all over again. Exactly. But it's, it's, it's different. It's different, though. Of course, we do. So let's talk about this. What yeah. do you think the backlash? Because there's always a trough. There's always these uh, these peaks and, and valleys. Uh, you know, people are talking about the AI winter um, coming. You know, it's like, well, do you really? I think the AI winter could come and last maybe like a day and a half. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I mean, think it's already over. Yeah, the acceleration is so rapid. I mean, the thing for me that's really, you know, and this is talking as an older guy, of course, the acceleration seems truly unprecedented in human history of what AI is yeah. able to do, how it affects things, how it will continue to affect things. There's really important ways that AI is affecting things in science and in medicine that is, you know, aren't, aren't really reported on is in, in as mainstream a way as things like chat gpt you know because it's a great point because i mean like there's you know there's you know the this one alpha uh, fold yeah one of them alpha fold exactly the one i was i was you know, and and when yeah. I, i'm like this literally is a game changer and i think it's going to change the entire game of innovation in medicine in very very high tech uh you know slivers of the of of human endeavor and of the economy and all that and that's happening kind of almost underneath the hype. And that's really interesting. It's like the bigger, like the more important things that AI is changing, it's almost happening without it being reported as much. And that, yeah, totally. That's, you know, in both kind of, you know, exciting and also scary. Um, because well, as you could helps, you know, accelerate our understanding of how to manage and even in some cases cure diseases. Um, it, I think the, the CEO, uh, of of DeepMind, which was which is one of the you know the Google division that's yeah. working on AI, was was and I the exact quote I, I want to get because there was a certain type of researcher, but he said that every every researcher in the world under a certain type like of the main the main ones, and it was like the hundreds. There's like uh, you know a couple hundred or maybe a couple thousand. Uh, and and they're all using AlphaFold already, and they've been using it yeah. for a year. Um, Once you describe and, a little bit more what AlphaFold is, it's a, it's related to mapping, uh, you know, very complex molecular structures. Um, well, you know what? Well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to open Claude. So Claude yes. is yeah. Anthropics, um, is Anthropics, which is a competitor to OpenAI. If anyone hasn't used Claude, Claude you should check out. Claude. Um, yeah, you should really check out Claude because it's it's a it's free and. I mean, there is a pro version, but for what you get for free, you get it's much better than GBC 3.5, yes. which is the default free version on on uh, ChatGPT. Now, if you pay for GBT 4, that's that's a little bit that that does that's kind of comparable to what Claude does. But Claude is amazing. So Claude says that AlphaFold is an artificial intelligence system developed by DeepMind that predicts the 3D structure of proteins from their amino acid sequence. Right. So this can it's the uh, potential to accelerate research in biology, medicine, biotechnology by more rapidly providing protein structure information that would otherwise requ require difficult and lengthy experiments. So right. this is obviously, it sounds kind of technical, 
but it's and that's why it's not getting but, as, as much press just to your point it's not exactly, getting as much press exactly. but it's this going to change complex to understand but it yes. it's going to change the nature of all medical research i mean it's a very yeah. fundamental thing um you know and and of course anything that that allows you to predict and create a, an understanding of molecular structure everything's made of molecules so that kind of affects everything <laughs> Doesn't it? Yeah, just, yeah, totally. Uh, I mean, this is, you know, uh, it's uh, it's really hard to overstate the nature of how AI is changing things. Now, of course, there's, you know, there's whole aspects of the the planet and and human endeavor that are not being affected by AI because of other very fundamental challenges that are happening in all kinds of realms. And you know, we have multiple worlds in this world. Um, in terms of economic determinism and all those things. So uh, it yeah. can sometimes feel like it's a very to mention that, elitist yeah. conversation to be saying, and AI is just changing everything. You know, it's really, you know, it, it is affecting things that will eventually come into contact with yeah. everyone's life. Um, you know, and, but at the same time, uh, there still is an economically determinist aspect of it. Although I will say, it's more democratized right off the gate than any other any other really advanced technology I've ever seen. Look at look at VR. VR VR has not been democratized because of uh, the amount of money it takes to get the gear and to you know become part of the whole you know ex experience of the virtual world. This is like bam, you could use AI today, and and there's a lot of free versions of it to use. You just need an internet connection, yeah. Just an internet, internet. Just need an internet connection, and of course, internet connections are becoming more and more and more ubiquitous around the planet uh, for a lot of reasons. Um, yeah. But, you know, the, the other area that, you know, we should really think about just from a cautionary uh, standpoint is if we're experiencing this level of AI disruption in sort of normal human existence, imagine what's really going on in the military. <laughs> imagine what's really going on in the areas yeah. that are usually 10 to 15 years ahead and we don't even hear about it. Um, you know, there's, and we do hear about some of the things happening in the context of, you know, AI drones that are being utilized in the context of the, you know, the Ukrainian war and all kinds of things. But the level of how this technology is really affecting things as fundamental as warfare, I don't think anyone's truly reporting on. There's some alternative, very deep, uh, you know, journalistic, investigative journalistic uh, people and and platforms out there. But, you know, which ones you can trust, which ones are just hype, which ones are really, you know, have the veracity and credibility. It's very difficult to know. And I just think right now that it's, we, again, you can't overstate the incredible moment we're in with AI. It's, it's like, you know, fire. <laughs> it, I mean, I think yeah. it's more, it's more important than the Gutenberg, uh, you know, printing press. Um, and, and yet probably less than fire because fire was so fundamental to everything, but it's, it is a Promethean. I don't know. It, it feels like fire. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, let's keep say, I mean, in the digital sense in the digital. Sense. Yeah. It's truly a Promethean moment of, you know, just, you know, creating something. Of course, there's a cautionary aspect to the Promethean myth. So, you know, this, yeah, fire can burn down a house. Yeah, well, and, and can this, can, the question is, and this is what everyone can, will AI burn down the world or will it empower the world? Or will it do a bit of both? 
Um, yeah. Oh God. It's wild. The discourse that has happened since we've recorded our last podcast, you know, so yeah. some people have said, <laughs> and th these are very respected AI researchers yeah. in the field that have, have taken sort of extreme viewpoints. Like we need to completely eliminate it all and like, uh, and, 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 and detonate the servers. And yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> I, know. Um, and, <laughs> that stuff. I mean, and you know, obviously now they're sort of considered less respected in in some ways, but they were previously to that, or some of the they they were some of the early researchers in AI. Yeah, well, uh, even Elon and said stuff like that. I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, you get some of the you know the biggest forces in tech, uh, whatever you think of their emotional stability. Um, that's another conversation, <laughs> but uh, you know that have you know really been strong in their cautionary notes about this. Um, and I think it's, these are valid. It's, it's a valid, yeah, well, I, valid yeah, concern. I mean, every company, I mean, let's talk about Anthropic, which I just mentioned was invest, yes. you know, four, $4 billion from Amazon just two days ago, um, went into Anthropic and they're competing with open AI and their whole thing is about harmless AI. All the top people in the field that are actually making the AI technology are just as scared as we are, or yeah. we are, we were talking about that they see the they see the the actual power of this stuff. It, it was wild. Yeah. I listened to a pod a podcast with the CEO of Anthropic, yes, and he was talking about how you open it up to to kind of look inside these systems, and it's just a ton of multiplication and numbers, and yeah, they don't <laughs> actually know no. fundamentally how it's getting to the result that it's getting to, and they're having to do. You know, that's actually a field of research is actually researching how these AI systems work fundamentally and having them explain themselves because yes. they're trained on a whole bunch of data. We're basically uh, giving these systems a lot of data and then they work in similar ways to the human brain. These you know yeah. neural networks and, and machine learning yeah. and they're 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 learning and, and then they learn something that we and we don't know how exactly they get to that. You know, there's examples where. There's uh, AI models trained on on just the only language is the English language, and then suddenly they understand Chinese, and we don't know how they how learn Chinese just from the <laughs> English language, right? And and you know this is a, this is the system. This but of course they've had, they have they yeah. have access to large language models that that relate English language to Chinese, and so you can see how that can happen. Well, no, these are the no, those are the large language models themselves that are that are that are coming up with the stuff. So they yeah, they have to, they yeah. Well, you know what that leans into? Language itself is the great mystery, Shannon. I mean, I I know we may have yeah. talked about a little bit about this as father and son at different points, but if you think about language and how it works, I mean, we're grunting and spitting and burping sounds out of our mouth yeah. right and we're talking and these things mean things i mean it the fact that the level of meaning that could be conveyed through language exists at all is a mystery to me um and you know of course at the core of even you know comparative religious thought and all that the tower of babel and how that relates to this moment we're in we're kind of in this moment where you know the large language models are like the tower of babel being synthesized into a new kind of language. And this gets to where something that I believe is, is for me at the core of a way of thinking about what we're talking about, the metaverse, the virtual world, uh, and the art of AI as a, uh, a, a powering and a fueling of that. Yeah. 
these are new mediums themselves. They're literally new levels of language that are new mediums in and of themselves. And that also is one of the big answers to some of the capitalistic aspects of this, because you always have to expand and create new levels of value for capitalism to continue to work, right? And I'm not, I don't want to get into a, you know, a, a debate about, you know, the, the efficacy of capitalism or rapacious capitalism or whatever. I, there's, there's good things and bad things about, about these right. systems. Yeah. You know? And so yeah. I'm not going to get into the de- detail on that, but just think about the fact that creating a whole new medium with AI fueled immersive worlds, that's what's exciting to me as a storyteller, or now as I call them, self a story worlder, uh, as an artist. Uh, as someone that wants to express with these tools, because, you know, human expression and art have always been linked to technology, whether it be the technology of the paintbrush and mixing, you know, uh, eggshells in with a, a certain pigment of, of, of paint in order to get another kind of quality. I mean, that's all technology. And in, at the core, language is one of the core overlay technologies on the cognitive experience of being a human being. I mean, there's a lot of interesting thought about language. There's some aspects saying we're moving beyond the nature of linguistic language, where we're actually going to be going into more back to a kind of moment by moment experiential experience of life um, that isn't as, you know, symbolized uh, as, you know, in kind of extended away from that moment of just everything being experiential. It, which is what language does. You know, Buckminster Fuller, you know, had a, one of his quote-unquote facetious comments or quotes was that language is a virus from outer space. Well, he was being somewhat facetious, but also he was trying to make a point about there's a lot of things that language has gotten in the way of in terms of human evolution. And it's also been incredibly important to human evolution uh, and consciousness. And so what happens when all of that starts to change on an ontological level on a semiotic level and that's you know those semiotics and ontology is a very interesting area of uh you know looking at knowledge and how it is expressed in the human uh in human interaction that's really the core questions that are happening around the virtual world being birthed and also the ai world being birthed these things are bringing up the deepest questions of what existence is about and how we express ourselves in existence in a moment-by-moment basis. And that goes right to the idea of what is language itself. And just like you were saying, there's a mystery at the core of it. So the fact that AI is, you know, evolving in a way that is mysterious to us is not a surprise. I mean, they're, you know, the truth, yeah. yeah. I mean, people, you know, technologists will tell you, we don't really fully understand how electricity works and electricity right. literally powers yeah. the entire planet. And literally at the core, we're kind of, well, how it really, really works. I mean, we have theories, you know, but nothing that's gravity. Yeah. Gravity, gravity is another example. Exactly. And so, you know, there's so much mystery at the core of our experience here on this planet and in this universe, these pieces, this virtual world idea, the AI, they're just part of that mystery. And, it makes sense that there's something that is confusing initially. You know, we, we have to create the meaning around them. That's what we've always done as human beings is we create our own meaning. And then that meaning infuses 
and uh, affects what our interaction is and what culture is and what civilization is. So we are at a moment when the nature of civilization itself, I believe, is being changed by these very fundamental inflection points we're in around the virtual world, quote unquote, the metaverse and AI. So it's, uh, you know, it couldn't be a more exciting and more terrifying moment. Basically, yeah, and, and and I mean that's amazing. And and AI is allowing us to navigate language. It's a lot. It's it's a new way of navigating all of these. You know, thought itself. It, it's and 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 so what's interesting in term because you mentioned the backlash. You know, a lot yeah. of the backlash is how we're how we were able to build the tools that are then able to help us create things and navigate things. So, for example, you know, people uh, will say, oh. This is these this data. The, what what what's the data that you train these AI systems are? Are you stealing from artists or writers who wrote this initial data? Uh, and or or, yeah, yeah. or how did how are these systems trained with what's called a human reinforcement learning, where there's entire uh, you know groups of people in nations around the world, uh, you know, mostly in places where pe- they can be paid very little uh, compared to really the value that they're providing yeah. um, and they're having to go through and manually train these systems. You know, AI didn't just come uh, become no. really respectful what? by itself. You could go and ask AI very extreme things like how do I create chemical weapons? And yeah. it, it would then tell you. So they had to have human trait and, and often again, in the, the low paid workers yeah. had to train systems like chat GPT had to train these systems yeah, that, that, to, to make sure that they don't do it. And so what what are the ethical implications of this technology? And what is the legal implications of copyright of this technology? Now, of course, there's, there's so many, you know, a lot of it is that that work will have, you know, there is a way to do that work where you're where you're paying them a good, uh, you know, a good rate, but that has to be managed and that has to be made sure that that's being done. And also, it, it, the, on the copyright side, you can get licensed training data. For example, Stable Diffusion just launched a music service. They're calling it Stable Audio, where yeah. you can make music. And but they're but they're licensing it. They licensed all the all the training data. It's stock music. They're licensing on. Or what Adobe's doing? Adobe with Adobe Firefly has uh, creating text to image, which is similar to Midjourney, and and what they're doing with uh, Photoshop generative fill. With you can kind of use generative, uh, generative image tools within Photoshop to kind of highlight something and then replace it with anything you can imagine using text yeah. props. That's all based on licensed stock material yes. that Adobe has has licensed, you know, uh, with legal <laughs> legal channels. However, Midjourney, on the other hand, Midjourney is they we don't know where they they won't tell anyone where they got their data. Uh, because <laughs> they're and they're being sued and they're being sued in courts for yeah. that and that's being figured out. You know, my view is that this is these systems. To me, they do seem sort of like they're not because they're never act. They're they're never able to one to one recreate any of their training data. Whenever no, no. they take so they have all this data and then they create something original based off that data. That's what's interesting about generative yeah. AI. Every time you use it, it's creating something that's unique and something that's original. Yeah. And so just like a human brain, right? If if someone yeah. was inspired by a song, but then created a different song that maybe had inspiration, that that won't be covered. Like you can do that. You can be inspired yeah. by other uh, works. And if and of course, now, if someone thinks that you 
ripped it off. They, of course, they can sue you if they want. Anyone can sue anyone. Yeah. But there, it's it's generally accepted that inspiration is okay, but ripping off is not okay. So these systems, to me, seem more aligned with inspiration, but that's still being figured out in the court system well, right you, now. What you're talking what, about, you know, is, yeah. what are your thoughts? Yeah. Well, you know, what you're talking about is the nature of how capitalistic imperative and structure is is interfacing and and you know swirling within and around the nature of these technological enablements, which really start to change the very nature of capitalism itself. See, that's the thing that's so sort of daunting about yeah. this is that the, the the nature of the foundational components of civilization are actually being affected and morphed in the context of these new technologies. And if you look at the, the again, the virtual world, the metaverse, however you want to talk about it, that, you know, spatial computing as one giant mega trend and AI as another that actually swirls within uh, the virtual world. I mean, in a strange way, I mean, AI is almost the language of the virtual world, you know? Um, yeah. it's, it's a way of thinking of it. And But these affect the underlying structural components of everything, including economic determinism, you know, capitalistic uh, modalities, other modalities of, of, of culture. And, and so it, it feels like when you're, having the shifting sands of a technology on the shifting sands of the foundation that are being affected by the shifting sands, the technology, everything's shifting at the same time. And so yeah. you're talking about being in a vortex. We're in a, in a vortex of change. Now we're not in a, in a J curve or, or a linear acceleration. We're in a vortex of acceleration, which is, you know, for me, tornadoes have always been one of the primary sort of, metaphors of my life because when I grew up, I grew up in a place where we had tornadoes. And so it's always been sort of part of my dreamscape uh, as a human being. And that's what it feels like we're in. We're in this vortex tornado of change that is literally shifting and changing everything at the same time. And that in a weird way could be what you could call what the metaverse is as an overall idea because you know the word meta is in there right so it's just the overarching structure of everything starts to shift based upon these technological enablements and of course even using the term technology it sounds like it's something from outside of us it's coming from us it's coming from the natural world because we're part of the natural world and so we've always as human beings and in human civilization writ large been advanced and affected and changed and and transmorphed by technological enablement that's just the truth and when you look at art art has always been that i mean cinema as you know the the modern art form of the 20th century anyway now we're moving into whole other forms of in the 21st century but was always a technological art form it never was not and i don't think there's ever been anything that hasn't been a technological art form because it's always been an extension of how we can blow into something and have a technology make it into a tone or draw a bow across uh, a vibratory piece of sinew and that becomes a tone. I mean, all these well, things mid technologies, you know? Yeah, and mi mid-journey is, you know, the ability to do text-to-image right now, but the the CEO of mid-journey says that what, what they're going to is not just images. It's real-time 3D uh, um, completely volumetric creation yes. that's happening 60 frames per second. So that's responding to what your, 
even how you're moving, what you're saying. Um, and and Midjourney actually has a entire storytelling team. Yes. And in their in their office hours, uh, their storytelling team was talking about how very along the lines with what you've been saying on this podcast and in other spaces uh, and and conferences, what you've been talking about for years. But it, which is that they, they don't see it as as this, you know, traditional. They, they're not interested in making movies so much as inventing the next medium of what yeah. it's going to be. And yeah. it's going to be kind of semi interactive was the word yeah. they used. Yeah. And 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 kind of, you know, this not in the Hollywood sense of storytelling, but in the campfire sense of storytelling, yeah. which is in the words they use. So it's interesting to see a mid journey, you know, kind of pushing the boundaries of that and and, and see what what they create, because um, they're really leading leading the pack in in this stuff. Um, and, and, you know, and I got to I got to get your take on this. So this is some breaking news that just happened a few a few days ago. There's actually been a lot of AI news. Because like you said, like, are we entering an AI winter? Well, it seems like it's only accelerating even faster and faster. In fact, the CEO, one of the CEOs of Runway, which is one of the, this amazing uh, AI video, startup, AI video is yeah. one of the things they do. Uh, it, it, he said that, you know, it, it may seem fast now, but it's only going to get faster. Yeah. Um, and so part of that is that ChatGPT, they just announced that very soon you'll, it's going to be able to speak, hear, and see. So uh, essentially, you're going to be able to, and this we knew this for a while. It was a functionality of GPT-4, and we actually mentioned this on our earlier podcast when when GPT-4 launched. What, what GPT-4 allows you, it's multimodal, which means that you're able to uh, input images into the model. So, but they're actually going to roll that out publicly. So GPT-4 will be able to see. So you so you can uh, take a picture of your fridge. And then it will actually understand what's in your fridge and then give you recipes for what to make. Like that's just one example, but obviously the the possibilities are endless. It's going to be able to hear you so you can actually yeah. talk to it conversationally now where you can talk to it and it'll respond in real time uh, with its own voice. Um, and that'll be rolling out uh, very soon. Uh, so 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 what's your take on this? This Now uh, GPT is going to be able to see, hear, and speak um, and also, wait, the, the final thing is uh, Dolly 3 was also announced and Dolly 3, which is basically looks like mid journey level uh, quality, you know, mid journey has been the within the leader and that's separate from OpenAI, it's separate from ChatGPT, uh, but they've been creating the best kind of image generation tools. But now Dolly 3, which is the successor to Dolly 2, that we've talked about for yeah. a year now on this podcast, um, but Dolly 3 is amazing. It's it, You can actually do text in the, in, which is something mid journey can't do. Or right. you can even have it say, you know, make a poster with the specific text and the text will appear on the on, on what you say will generate. So now you can use and it's going to be integrated into ChatGPT. So you can have ChatGPT generate images for you and it'll take care of the prompting. So, you know, right. often right. for image generation, you have to come up with these complex prompts, but you can do something simple. And then ChatGPT will then create a more complex prompt, give you the image back see you, hear you, talk to you. Yes. The, look, this enablement is not slowing down. It's going to be, I mean, it's almost going to become instantaneous creation from your mind quicker than we could imagine. And that's, yeah, that's, that's the, you know, that's sort of the, the logical sort of, you know, goal of all this is to be able to just, and then what happens when you link that up with nanotechnology, suddenly you're able to create anything. And this, this gets into this, you know, the Atlantean myths of technology, but where the, you know, psychic powers can create 
reality right in front of you. And there's all kinds of, you know, mythologies and speculative fiction and, uh, you know, thought forms around all of these things. And we're literally seeing the technology that actually starts to be the foundation for that happening in our lifetimes right now. I mean, that's just, it's wild. It's wild right now. I mean, I, I think that there, you know, the nature of privacy, the nature of, of what, you know, uh, one generation feels is normal to what another generation, there's always been a generational shift, but even in uh, my generation to your generation, Shannon, which we can talk about since we're living it together, you know, is so radical. I mean, the, the difference between, you know, like in another time, let's say, you know, I'm a film director and you were my son and you would grow up seeing it, you know, the film process and you go, I want to be a film director. And then you'd start to learn the exact same things that I have learned. And some of that happened because you learned editing and you started working on professional projects very young, but there's a whole other track of what you've been experiencing, which is all of these new technologies. And you're, everything you're doing now is very embedded in AI generative creation and just completely different than what I was utilizing. Uh, you know, like living in the digital I world, mean, literally just, yeah. And literally being a native of the digital world, you know, so it's just, it's mind boggling how fast that shift is happening. And that's why it gets back to these questions of language, of language form of what is the human language of interaction really going to be? Is it going to be something that's literally beyond the concept of, you know, just little QQ form symbols on a piece of paper? I mean, that's incredibly low bandwidth uh, expression. You know, the bandwidth of the expression from humans is going to become so vast and 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 incredibly powerful. Just like you would go see, you know, uh, you know, a Christopher Nolan film uh, in a in a in a IMAX theater. You know, like Oppenheimer. That the the experience of that is a very big, almost overwhelming experience from a visual standpoint, from an audio standpoint. It also happens to have great performances. And, you know, and, but what happens when everyone is able to do that (laughs) on a daily basis? It's just part of the interaction of the creative interaction between human beings. I mean, I find that incredibly exciting, somewhat terrifying, but mostly exciting. And, and that's, I think the mythology that we're, you know, we're creating right now, we're creating the mythology around how to make that a positive in the evolution of human civilization. And so, you know, I think one of the things we could do as we move forward with this podcast is start to talk about the differences between how someone like myself from my generation, how this is affecting me. I mean, I'm a little bit of an outlier because of the things I'm involved in and someone like yourself and your generation and how it's affecting. I think that's something we should continue to sort of really, you know, contrast and and yeah, talk about yeah. it because it's like ima- imagine if I I were to go tell your your twenty year old self that yes. is like okay hi I'm your son from the future right uh, in, in this in this future the digital world the world inside of computers and screens and this thing called the, you know the in the in the internet is actually more valuable now than the physical world and right right what if I <laughs> well how would your twenty year old self feel about that because. There's a lot of talk right now about just that, that the, the know. you know, the digital world has now become more valuable than the physical world in the sense where people can make money in the digital world to then give them the benefits in the physical yeah, valuable world. valuable in the they're, not, they're in making it. and they're spending their time in the digital world. They're 
getting their relationships in the digital world, their friends in the digital yeah. world, they're making their money in the digital world, and that can give you benefits in the physical world. But the actual, but if you you know the, the actual what actually is getting the value out of some you know fr from life, but, but that's still uh, again it's still in the context of a capitalistic imperative, right? It's still in the context of you know, and we're both you and I are capitalists. We live in a capitalist society. You have everything. I'm doing is capitalistic, so I'm not putting it down. I'm just saying we have to look at and see the context of this. It's it's all in that context. The idea of value at all being an abstract thing outside of ourselves, outside of every moment and every breath we take, being the greatest value. You see, it's it's like yeah, yeah. There's so I, many, yeah. so many like totally. fundamental existential questions that come out of. Because I think it's scary. It's scary to it's scary to think about this idea. Like, oh, it, you know, does that mean you think like social media is better than real life? It's like, no, no, no. Of course not. Like, oh. I more than anyone would want to go and live in a cabin in the woods, right? And, and just like connect <laughs> with nature, it's with nature. Exactly. But but there's this actual. But there's this reality that's happening in the economy, but also just in our day to day lives. Not even just how we spend money, but how we spend yeah. our time, how we yeah. spend our actual lived experience. It's becoming more and more in the digital world. And yes, that can be a, a negative thing. Absolutely. There's many negative things about that, but it's also can be a positive thing too. It's, it's not really necessarily uh, this, this idealistic <laughs> output. It's just kind of the reality of, of how we're existing in the world right now, how many people yeah. are. And, you know, to your point earlier, it's like, there is this, this divide that is, you know, you have to have, you know, the ability and the means and the economic status to even access many of these things. To even just access the internet, you have to have a certain yeah. amount yes. of economic status. And so, but you know, that's becoming more and more democratized. But it, it so so there's a lot of questions. You know, I'm not saying it's good or bad overall, but I am saying that the trend is happening and the trend of the digital world, you know, kind of eating everything. Yeah. In our, physical world and you know and, more and more is sort of underway in our generation you know, that, lifetime. And, and to a lot of people in my generation that terrifies them yeah and yeah. i understand and by the way it a good portion of myself it terrifies although i've been a you know storyteller of that very thing you know so it's it's a yeah. little uh, it's more abstracted for me to a certain degree but but it's i do i do feel this generational difference where you are much more just, I mean, you have, you know, you can question these things and you have a, a dialectic going on around that, but at the same time, you're more just naturally comfortable in it. It just, it yeah. doesn't, you know, and that's well, it's my future. It's my future. Yeah. yeah exactly. And it, it, you know, that my kids are going to grow up in, and, exactly. you know, exactly. and so I, it, it, of course I'm biased to have sort of this optimistic viewpoint of, of, of where it's going. Now, does that mean I still don't uh, I'm, I'm sort of terrified about the same things in many ways, but I don't know if actually terrified would be the right word. It's more of just like concerned and having a, a kind of a, a looking at it from making sure I'm looking at it from a balanced perspective. But to right. be honest, you're right. Like I am very much excited about the future and how technology is helping. Like we mentioned, uh, things in the physical world, this AlphaFold yes. te Alpha technology is a digital technology. Yeah, uh, digital technology is going to help you know manage and potentially cure diseases and other medical breakthroughs in the real physical world. So yes, it, it's it's an interesting time you know well, to have I mean, to be talking about this. The truth is, what all this comes to because the most daunting thing that human 
beings individually and human civilization writ large deals with is the concept of death. That is the most existential kernel at the core of every question. Yeah. And w these technologies that we're talking about, we are literally, as human, because it's coming from us, again, I try to remind people it's not, it's part of the natural world that these technologies are evolving because they're coming from us and we're part of the natural world. There's nothing artificial about it. It really is moving towards us answering those questions and possibly going beyond the era or the eras of death. And, you know, this is a huge thing to consider <laughs> on yeah. all levels. And you know what? We'll get into that more on future podcasts. On the next episode. On the next episode, we'll talk about, about the metaverse and the nature of death. <laughs> <laughs> or at least, or at least it'll be a, a thing. It'll we'll be a part of it. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. <laughs> who knows, who knows what new uh, breakthroughs will happen. Yeah, well, listen, it's, it's great to have, have yeah. this conversation with you, Shannon. I, 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 we can share this with others others and uh, we hope you're enjoying it um, those of you that are tuning in to uh, what the F is the metaverse which uh, continues to morph and change in all kinds of ways with uh, with each passing day because all the things we're talking about are an acceleration that is unprecedented and I think that's probably this the far theme and it, it totally and if you made it this far you know feel free to it always helps to leave a review on Apple podcasts yes um, and you know there's been some amazing five-star reviews on there you don't have to give us a five-star no we love five-star reviews um the AI overlords will thank you yes that. absolutely <laughs> <laughs> because that's who we're really working for <laughs> yeah <laughs> of course well Listen, well, do you want to always, sign us off, Dan? Yeah, it's always, and as I like to always say, I love you, son. I love you, Dad. And this episode theme music was produced by Greg Leonard. So special thanks to Leonard. And we'll catch you next time. Bye.